Hey, uh, last week we began this series called Pirates, and uh, can anybody name that movie? Hook, and uh, Peter Pan is all grown up, which he wasn't supposed to do, and he became a pirate. You and I can become pirates when we lose touch with who God has made us to be. So we're calling this series Pirates because over these four weeks, we're talking about treasure, treasure. And our title this morning is Dead Man's Chest, Arg. You're permitted to say Arg, Arg. There's this thing called National Talk Like a Pirate Day. That's not until September uh, 19th, to be exact. So I'm declaring January, Life Point Church, Talk Like a Pirate Month. And uh, so you're hereby given permission and ordered to learn to do that. In your program this morning is a little fun thing that will help you if you be doing that. Ye scurvy dogs are... After the 1st of February, you're going to have to learn to speak like a Roman. So you're working on that too. There is a uh, sermon notes form in your program. I hope that you will take notes this morning. Um, this morning we're, we're going to look again briefly at a passage we uh, examined last week, First Chronicles 29, 10 through 14, and then we're going to move on to Luke 12. Um, when you came in this morning, you, you received a bag of Skittles, or it was in your chair, um, how many of you already ate it? All right. So, uh, how many of you got little Skittles? All right. Just, you guys are little Skittle people. Okay. How many of you got, uh, like, medium sized Skittles? Okay. You're middle Skittle peoples. How many of you got, uh, larger? One? Okay, you're big Skittle people. Would you, would you hold that one up? That's yours, Bill, by the way, since you're sitting closest. Okay, he's, he's like the <coughs> Donald Trump Skittles person. Big Skittles. Bigly, you got it, Bigly. Hey, I'm guessing that some of you were pretty pleased at the Skittles you got. And you looked around and you went, oh, in my chair there's... How come? Hey, some of you are pleased, and some of you went. How come I got little skittles? There's big skittles. How come I got little skittles? Am I a little skittle person? Is that who I am? Maybe you said, "Who, who, who do I have to know to get some big skittles around here?" Well, this morning we are talking about skittles. And people get uncomfortable when we talk about Skittles in church. Have you noticed that? If we're honest, uh, we'll admit that among the reasons that that we get uncomfortable is this, that, that in our heart of hearts, we have allowed ourselves to become convinced that our personal value, our personal significance, is directly determined by the size of our bag of Skittles. We have an above-average tendency to, to root our personal sense of worth and well-being and, and how high we can pile our Skittles. 
And so we protect our Skittles with our lives. We protect them extremely carefully. So let's face it this morning that in our culture, Skittles are a a big deal. In American society, in many places and in many ways, your value, your influence, your significance is determined by the size of your bag of Skittles. Sorry, you little Skittle people. You know, I don't fly very often, but I noticed the last time that I flew that the flight attendant said something like this, Welcome to Alaska Airlines Flight 2566 with service to Phoenix. Uh, we, we welcome you, but we especially want to welcome our VIP club passengers and frequent flyers. And, and all of us back in coach, we just kind of hung our heads. <laughs> said we must be little Skittle passengers. There's a few more examples. You know, some, some of you women will say, well, my fiancé, my husband must love me a lot more than your fiancé or your husband loves you because look at the Skittles he put on my finger. And some of us parents might say to other parents, well, we obviously love our kids more than you love your kids because look at the size of the Skittles in their toy box. And others will say, I'm clearly a bigger fish than y'all because look at the Skittles I just drove up in. You know, something I know this morning, because of what we're talking about, is that at some point I'm going to offend everyone in the room. But did you know that we're never offended by something unless there's some element of truth to it? So if you criticize me for being too smart, that's probably not going to bug me. If you tell me my hair is too dark, that's probably not going to hurt me either. You tell me I could stand to lose a little weight, maybe spend a little more time in the gym, that that punch might land because there's truth there. So if you do happen to get upset, you get offended this morning, my name is Evan Appleby. You can email me at ifeelyourpain.com. At the start of the service last week, we handed out these Chinese finger traps. And the reason we did that was to illustrate something, that that when we talk about God, when we talk about our Skittles, uh, we want to pull away. And when we do that, we get trapped. And I want you to know today that You don't have to agree with anything I'm going to say. All I'm asking you to do is to push in. To push in. Just consider what God has to say about your Skittles. A lot of what God has to say about our treasure, our our money, our material possessions is counterintuitive. It it doesn't always make sense to us at first because it runs counter to, to what we usually think, what the world wants to tell us about our Skittles. So when we try to pull away, what results is that we become trapped. We saw that, that freedom comes when we push in to God's teaching, when we push in to God's counsel, when we push in to God's wisdom. And what God wants you to know this morning 
is that when it comes to your Skittles, he wants to give you peace. He wants to grant you freedom in that area of your life about which we rarely experience peace or freedom. So my challenge to you in this month is that would you please just take this voyage with us. Just get on the ship and consider what God has to say. Push in and see if you don't find some keys to freedom. We also introduced a principle that's last week that's central to this series. What we think we own is really on loan. What we think we own is really on loan. Everything that we have is on loan from God. God wants to say to us the most basic thing that you need to understand is that you, did, you don't really own anything. Everything you have or ever will have comes from my hand. Everything, everything you think you own is really on loan. It's all mine, God says, and I've just entrusted it to you for a little while. If you missed last week's message, I hope that you'll go online to mylpclacy.com and listen there. <clears throat> but will you turn in your Bibles, or turn them on, and scroll to 1 Chronicles 29, 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 14. Last week we, we noticed the emphasis on the words, you and yours, the repetition of those words in this passage. So we want to re- revisit that today as we transition into our topic. And again, by way of background, David David is, is speaking in this passage and, and he's responding to God's blessing uh, of a fundraiser in which all of Israel engaged to build the temple uh, or to collect the materials to build the temple in Jerusalem. Would you stand with me and let's read this together. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, last week we looked at this principle of ownership ownership, which means God owns the ship. It, it'd all be his. Our, what we think we own is really on loan. The Bible characterizes the lives of God's people as strangers and aliens on the earth, pilgrims, sojourners. We're on a voyage. The earth is not our home, not the final harbor. And it's if, as if where we are now is kind of like open sea. And sometimes it's calm, and, and frequently we find ourselves in the middle of some perfect storms. But the fundamental truth that we need to grasp, I think, is that God owns the ship. 
and everything in it. Uh, He owns the sky above and everything in it. He owns the sea below and everything in it. He sets the course. He sends the wind. And someday at last, he will steer the ship into its final harbor. There's three truths this morning about Skittles from this passage we just read that I'd like to highlight. Let's begin with this, that it's not a sin to be rich. It's not a sin to be rich. If you've spent any time studying Jesus' teachings on money, you may have come to the incorrect conclusion that it's somehow a sin to be rich. After all, Jesus said the love of money is the root of all evil, right? Wrong. It was the Apostle Paul who said it. And that's not what he said. He said that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. A root. The Bible never teaches that it's a sin to be rich. We know that because we just read David saying to God, wealth and honor come from you. You might say, I don't have to worry about being rich. (laughs) I'm not rich. Big Skittle people are rich. I'm a little Skittle person. Maybe a medium Skittle person. Well, I have news for you this morning. Everyone in this room is wildly rich. And now you're excited, aren't you? Because you think Oprah's waiting behind the curtain to come out and trade everybody's bag of Skittles for something really big. I called Oprah. She apologized. She couldn't be here today. See, the fact is that based on world standards, everyone here today is rich. Sometime this week, if you have the opportunity, go to this website, globalrichlist.com, globalrichlist.com. And it'll give you the opportunity to plug in either your annual income or your net wealth. And it'll tell you where you are on a global scale. Just to save you a little bit of time, by way of example, here's some stats. If your annual gross income is $20,000 or higher, you're in the top 4% of the world's wealthiest people. The average per capita income in Thurston County in 2016 was $46,000. That's per capita And that would put each person in Thurston County in the top 0.39% of, on on a world scale. In 2017, the median household income was 66,725. And that would put us in the top 0.14% of the wealthiest people in the world. Average household income in Thurston County in 2017 was 74,091. And that would put us in the top 0.11% on a global scale. The average household net worth in Thurston County in 2017 was $532,071, which ranks in the top 2.64% of the world's wealthiest people. If you own an automobile, any automobile at all, by virtue of that alone, you are in the top 5% of the wealthiest people in the world. If you can afford to put gas in your automobile, you're wildly wealthy. 
Now, parents, think about this with me for a moment. If you would calculate your child's annual income, you say, my child doesn't work. I understand that. But your child has an income, and you maybe provide an allowance. Your child may receive some birthday money, some Christmas money. Calculate the value of the gifts that you've given to your children or others give to them, things that they receive throughout a year, the clothes that you put on them, the food that you put in their tummies. What do you think, $3,000 a year? Maybe? More? Okay, being conservative here. Top 32%. If your child annually receives money or stuff in the amount of $3,000, they are in the top 32% of the world's wealthiest people all by themselves. You know, I know the, the, the term rich is a relative term. It's, it's relative to the local economy, so it's a moving target. But we Americans are wealthy, incredibly wealthy by world standards. But the general reason that few of us feel rich is this thing called margin which translated means that we don't know how to live within our income. And each time our standard of, each time God prospers us, each time we get a promotion, each time we get a raise, each time we get a windfall, we we think God has prospered us to raise our standard of living. I read about John Wesley, who was an 18th century pastor, as a theologian, evangelist, he He's the father of what became known as the Methodist movement, which morphed into the Methodist church. It said of John Wesley that his rule of life was to save all that he could save and to give all that he could give. And when he was a young student at Oxford, uh, he had an income of 30 pounds per year. He, He lived on 28, and he gave two pounds away. When his annual income increased to 60 pounds and then 90 and then 120, what did he do? He he still lived on 28 and gave the rest away to people in need. Wesley understood this principle of margin. He chose to increase his standard of giving instead of his standard of living. Here's a second truth from 1 Chronicles 29, that we have what we have because God, the owner, has blessed us. We have what we have because God, the owner, has blessed us. So you don't have to feel guilty about being rich because wealth and honor comes from God. If you've ever traveled to a third world country or you've ever gone on a mission trip, for example, uh, to someplace like Mexico or Haiti or wherever you might name, when you come home, here's something that everyone realizes when they come off of that experience. They say, wow, I have a lot compared to the people I was just with. They they would be blown away by my home and my closet, my wardrobe, the furnishings in my house. Wealth and honor come from God, not as a reward but as a generous gift of his grace toward us. You know, most of us have to work, 
But there are many aspects of your life experience that you had nothing to do with. You didn't earn in any way. For example, you didn't choose to be born in America. Most of us here this morning were probably born in the United States. You could have been born in the barrios of Brazil. You could have been born in the streets of Calcutta, the steppes of Tibet. But most of us were born here where we have incredible opportunity and an incredible material blessing. We didn't choose that. God allowed that for us. It's a blessing from him. And the very capacities that we have to acquire wealth come from him. The the physical strength, the the mental acuity, the, the gifts, the skills, the aptitudes are all things that he built into us. So what should be our response then to all of that? Love, gratitude, praise, Joy, trust, humility, awe, accountability, generosity. So David said, now our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only only what comes from your hand. When we come to the third truth in First Chronicles 29, this is, this is where it gets kind of touchy. Here it is. What we do with our Skittles reveals what we believe about God. What we do with our money and our treasure reveals we believe about God. And and this is why we don't like to talk about Skittles in church. For most of us, if we haven't involved God in our thinking and our valuing and our acting with regard to our Skittles, when it comes to faith, we're, we're kind of just in general agreement. What do I mean by general agreement? You're, you're in general agreement when, on an intellectual level, you have come to a point of saying, yes, I agree that I'm a sinner. And yes, I agree that I need a Savior. Jesus, I invite you into my life. So general agreement is the starting point. So think of it this way. Skittles are the first real test on the journey of faith. How are you doing with that test? We're in general agreement when we're willing to give God a couple of hours of our personal and family time each week for church or life group or serving others. But beyond that, we build a a high wall of protection around our personal time, our personal resources, our personal hobbies. And listen, and I say this To myself, I said, in love to you, you are not really trusting God in a real-life faith journey until, until you involve God in the management of your treasure. Up until that point, you're just in general agreement. 
You're intellectually engaged, you're mentally in tune, but you're not yet personally invested. And this series is, is personally challenging, and the reason that, that we've asked you to not pull away, but to push in to this entire series, is that it's about ownership. It's about who owns your life. Is Jesus Lord of your life? If he doesn't own your treasure, he doesn't own your life. If you say he's the owner, but you're not yet willing to bow your knee to him in in the area of this first test of faith, then here's where you are. You are just in general agreement. Turning your Bible to Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13. There's a parable of Jesus here. It's a story about Skittles. Luke 12, beginning at verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, him meaning Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You hear where they are right there? Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. They're in probate court. They are in family conflict. Nothing separates families like Skittles. And Jesus replied, Man, that's the way I read it. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Would you underline that in your Bible? And would you repeat that aloud with me? A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Again, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Notice that that he addresses that, watch out, the warning about greed, to the crowd. Because like us, they also tended to think like owners instead of managers. And like theirs, our society teaches that it's all about the Skittles. We think it's about the pile. You'll always be little till you got a lot of Skittles. That's what we say. And that's why some of you got Skittle envy this morning. And now Jesus is about to teach them and, and us about this very different kind of relationship that he wants us to have with the possessions that he's given us. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. Stop. Stop right there. God said what? What did he say? What was it? You fool. You fool. A little harsh. Come on, God. What are you talking about? This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get 
what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Do you underline those last three words, rich toward God? You know, I used to read this passage and I'd ask myself, Jesus, why are you so upset with this guy? I mean, there must be something fundamentally wrong with the American dream because if anybody was living it, this guy's living it. He's obviously a good farmer, probably went to Wazoo, been responsible with his acquisitions, did a master in business at UW when he wised up. He's building barns. He's contributing to the economy. He's finally, finally, finally enjoying the fruit of his own diligence and faithfulness. So, God, what is the problem? Let's not miss the seriousness of God's response to this man. The problem is not that he's rich. The problem is that he is a what? Fool. And the word fool is not used lightly in the Bible. In God's economy, the fool is the man or the woman who rejects the knowledge of God and the authority of God as the basis for his or her life. How many times did the man ask God for his counsel? Let's, let's read this again. The ground of a certain man, rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? So let's count. How many times did the man ask God for his counsel? Zero. None. The only conversation this man is having about his Skittles is with himself. He's thinking like an owner instead of a manager. And listen, a manager has to ask a completely different question than the owner asks. Will you repeat that after me? A manager has to ask a completely different question than the owner asks. Is Jesus saying that it's wrong to save money and to prepare for the future? No. And, and there are many scriptures in the Bible that speak to the, the wisdom of that very thing, of saving up and preparing for lean seasons. A lot of them are in the book of Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom. Is Jesus against retirement? Depends on what you mean by retirement. If by retirement you mean wisely investing and saving so that there comes a day when you don't have to work for someone else anymore, then no, God is not against that. He is for that. But if what you mean by retirement is that there comes a 
time when you can quit investing yourself in the kingdom of God and do nothing else but pursue your own leisure for the rest of your life, then no, God is not excited about that at all. You won't find that celebrated anywhere in Scripture. In fact, you'll find just the opposite. See, as long as God has you here, as long as you're breathing, you have a purpose. As long as you're part of the crew of God's ship, there's work for you to do. I read several years ago about a woman named Janine Roth who lost 30 years of retirement savings that she had invested in what she thought was a fail-safe fund with a brilliant financial guru named Bernie Madoff. In her book titled Lost and Found, in which she wrote about the experience, she revealed that after receiving the phone call that informed her that all of her money had evaporated overnight, she felt as if she died and for some unknown reason was still breathing. A woman's life does not consist in the abundance of her possessions. Jeanine Roth had spent her career leading workshops and writing books to help compulsive eaters. And she herself had struggled with binge eating and dieting. And after losing her money, she said that she began to see that her relationship with money was the same as her relationship with food. She never felt satisfied, never felt as if she had enough. And she wrote this, Over the years, I've often asked my students to consider that the very body they spend hours a day obsessing about will get old, wrinkled, sick, and eventually die. You can't take your inner thighs with you. I would say, so decide what you value most. Spend time on that. From my post-made-off catbird seat, it occurred to me that spending time perfecting this body is no different from spending time accumulating or worrying about money. No one ever dies rich. They just die. No one dies rich. They just die. What you think you owned is really on loan. And what can a dead man do with a dead man's chest. When you think back, it may be easier to say, God, it's all yours when you're young and you don't have much. When I was a college student, I was, I was making many of the major kind of foundational spiritual decisions of my life. I, I was dirt poor. I owned a record player. An old Dodge that on a good week was worth about 300 bucks. Some books, collection of dog-eared posters, a blacklight, a few changes of clothes. And God was speaking to me about ownership. And I said, God, it's not much, but it's all yours. And God said, wow, Thanks. See, but here's the deal, and get this, it may be easier to give everything to God when you don't have much, but it's also more strategic. The reason is, is that as we get older, 
and the owner blesses us with more stuff, it gets harder for some reason to surrender it to him. Can I get an amen? Like we saw with Jimmy Stewart's prayer last week, it's too easy to start thinking that we are the owners. And that's why you and I need to settle the question as soon as possible. Good managers always, always, always ask a different question than owners. What would the owner have me do with his skittles, with his treasure? What we think we own is really on loan. Let's change the metaphor for for just a second. Uh, Let's say God is the owner of all chocolate chip cookies. How's that? How many of you like chocolate chip cookies? Let's see, it's just a show of hands. Yeah? Keep them up. Keep them up. Okay, because I'm looking for a volunteer. Ryan, come on up here. You like chocolate chip cookies? Because I got them, man. I got got chocolate chip cookies. Aren't those pretty? Hi, this is Ryan. These are good cookies. Really good. Loretta Duncan made these. If you're ever looking for good chocolate chip cookies, see Loretta. So, Ryan, did you notice Ryan didn't have any chocolate chip cookies? Because you got no chocolate chip cookies, Ryan. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking God loves me a lot more than he loves you because I got, I mean, look at this. Here's what I'm going to do. When I finish this cookie, I'm going to pray for you. (laughs) Very good. Lord, my friend Ryan here, he ain't got any chocolate chip cookies. I'm feeling for him, Lord. If I was praying, you'd give Ryan, in your time and in your way, if it be your will, give him some chocolate chip cookies, I pray. Amen. Hope you get some, brother. Thank you. Feel really good. Oh, man. That was awesome. Spiritual moment. <clears throat> Crazy. Well, you know, managers ask a different question, don't they? What would the owner have me do? More precisely, what would the owner do if he were in my place? Parents, let's say that you make your kid a lunch to take to school. And when he comes home, you ask him if he ate it. He said, well, yeah, but no, I, I ate half of it. Half? I worked hard in that lunch. You only ate half? Why? Well, there was this kid named Bill at school who, who didn't have a lunch, so I, I shared mine with him. What do you do at that moment? You want to punish your kid? No, you're saying, you think what a great parent you are, you know, to, to, to have raised 
a child like that. You say, oh, I must have done something really awesome. This is a great kid. Look at that. He's sharing his stuff. And you want to reward your kid for being generous at that point, right? And God's like that. He gives us cookies. And he says, all the cookies in all the earth come from me. And here's what I want you to do with the cookies I've given you. I want you to share generously. What do you think? Would the heart of God be moved to reward his children when they reflect his heart and his mind by sharing their cookies? What do you think? You think, yeah? Managers ask a different question. What would the owner have me do with his cookies? So, Ryan, here's the deal, brother. I'm going to give you the plate of cookies. Come on up. There you go. So stand by. Hang on. Hang on. Not only am I going to give you cookies, but you can't have chocolate chip cookies without milk. And here's some cups to share. There you go, brother. There you go. Managers ask, see Ryan afterwards. Managers ask a different question. How many of you do not own the company you work for? Okay, most of you. You work for somebody else. What does that mean? It means that that you are to do what you do when the owner wants you to do it in the way that he wants you to do it or she wants you to do it. And if you do, you're rewarded. And if you don't, you get promoted to staying at home. A little sensitive what I'm about to say here, but could it be, could it be that sometimes we don't feel we have enough because we haven't involved the owner? Because we haven't given consideration to his priorities. Could it be Could it be that sometimes we don't pass the bless test? Could it be that God gives us more not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving? Managers ask a different question. What would the owner have me do with his treasure? And here in general outline is what I think Scripture says the owner would have us do with the Skittles he's entrusted us. Three things. Give, save, and live. Give, save, and live. Give to the Lord first. In the Bible, there's the principle of first fruits, giving a portion back to God because we recognize him as the owner and the provider of all that we have. It's where tithing comes in. Save a percentage second, whatever that percentage is that, that you know, because you're smart people, you ought to be saving. And then live on the rest. Live on the rest. See, here's the problem. Most of us reverse the order. We finance our lifestyle first. We might save a little Second, although all the data says that Americans aren't saving anymore, 
spending but not saving. And then, third, we give God whatever's left over, if there is anything left over. And in a lot of months we say, oh, God, I'll catch up next month. Sorry. Spent everything you gave me this month, Lord. I can't give you any of it. See, I'm not talking about percentages today. I'm just talking about the principle of ownership. I heard a guy say one time that, that he realized that he had just been tipping God all of his life. And I asked him, well, what does that mean? He answered, well, from whatever's left over, I've just given God a few bucks here and a few bucks there when I've had it. And I said, no, you haven't been tipping God because everyone knows that a good tip is at least 15%. So if you want a percentage, God just asks for 10. And that's the literal meaning of the word tithe. And that freaks some of you out, because, but it's about settling the matter of ownership. Does God own the ship? It's all about trust. God bought you the combo meal. He wants you to enjoy it. And all he asks for is a French fry. We're going to be talking over the next couple of weeks about how to get there, and we'll, we'll be offering some, some additional help in managing your money and achieving financial peace, and that's what the Financial Peace University course is all about. See, managers ask a different question. What would the owner have me do? See, last week we, we asked you to think about this question, where in my life am I acting like a pirate? And we said that something that all pirates have in common is that they're uncommonly possessive of the possessions of others. In this case, the possessions of the king. Pirates are always at odds with the king. Where in my life am I acting like an owner instead of a manager? And this week, speaking as a manager to the owner of all things, here's what I'd like you to reflect on and ask this question. God, what would you have me do with your treasure? God, what would you have me do with your treasure? Everybody's got Skittles. All God's children got cookies. And he increases our standard of living to increase our standard of giving. And managers ask a different question. God, what would you have me do with your treasure? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks right down into the places where we live and think and feel and value. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would deliver us from piracy And Lord, that you would teach us what it means to be managers and to stop acting like owners when in fact everything in heaven and on earth belongs to you. Lord, we love you. We want to keep growing in our walk with you. Thank you that uh, you teach us, your Holy Spirit enables us, and help us, Lord, to grow in obedience. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.